hi, Mackerel. Oh, yes. How's it going? Um, it's going nice. Before you came on to record, I was just reading about forestry, trees. Oh, that's cute. Because you're going to have trees at your new house. I'm going to have trees, pine trees. Oh, that's nice. Well, well, there's pine and other types of trees, but right. I want to learn about trees. That's cool. Other exciting thing that happened, I put in a wreck for you. Oh, thank you very much with that person for that thing. With the person for the thing, so, you know. That's good. Thanks very much. Yeah, I hope this dose of nepotism works out for you. <laughs> uh, it's sad how much the world runs on that system. Yeah, they seemed very open to you doing stuff for them. So that's cool. I'm pretty cool. You are pretty cool. That's cool. Are things proceeding appropriately with your house? Things are proceeding appropriately. We started looking at U-Haul rentals. Ooh, so you're really U-Hauling. Yes. Truly. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's cute. That's very cute for you. You're all grown up. I, I, I guess You're not so. ready to embrace that role? No, I'm not. Grunge Girl's like, oh, we're going to be in Western Mass. We can hang out with like my friends. Grunge Girl's like 29. And so her friends mm-hmm. are 27. I'm like, I'm too old to hang out with your friends. I'm 34. <laughs> I feel, I'd feel weird. I'm 34. I'm basically dead. Well, that's what she tells me. I don't, I'm just ready to be left alone. Are you, though? No, I want, I, you know, I... You I'm, want a ton of attention in a way that's like you can turn it on and off very easily. Well, what's that movie that you had me watch that's your favorite movie ever? The House of Yes? Yeah, it's it's very like the main character. Look at me, don't look at me. Look at me, don't look at me. Wait, are you talking about The House of Yes or I Heart Huckabees? Oh, I was thinking House of Yes. I Heart Huckabees is the one with like the model who gets fired and then she starts dressing in Amish clothing and it has Jude Law in it. Well, I mean, that would be appropriate too. <laughs> You're rapidly ping-ponging between look at me and yes. don't look at me. Yeah, exactly. I got a good book in the mail. Oh, what did you get? Something Sam recommended to me. Messianism, secrecy, and... Uh... <laughs> it's a sexy book title so far. Yeah, and there's another cool noun that's part of the mm-hmm. uh, right that's part of it but it's about jews in like colonial era new world atlantic Ooh. area very interesting very interesting the first jews in america the ones we don't really think about yeah so that's cool i'm gonna read about that they were Dope. apparently into messianism and secrecy and other things so excuse me you're not excused death penalty how are you Hava? i'm well i feel like this day didn't even happen it's like been rainy all day and then it got dark so early that it's like as if there was no sunlight at all today so that's a challenge it is a challenge it is a challenge it's a challenge it's a challenge but otherwise things are going well just like teaching my little butt off feeling very busy right now in a good way the Animal Crossing update has been out for long enough that like my Animal Crossing consumption is more normalized now. I'm no longer like binging Animal Crossing. I'm just like having my normal daily dose, which is good. Good for the brain. Yeah, I've been having lots of weird feelings and thoughts about my religious practice today. Oh, tell me. Shocking, I know. So today on this X-Men podcast, I really like an episode came out about dust who is a character that is a observant muslim woman 
slash mutant superhero. She's a great character and really interesting. And basically the discussion of this character's sort of Muslim subtext just got me thinking about different parts of my practice that I miss. Like there was a while where I was doing really good at having a pretty full prayer practice every day. And that felt really nice in a certain sense. But also prayer is probably the part of Judaism that comes least naturally to me. So it was also a really big struggle. Basically, my pattern with Judaism is I am always picking things up and then I sustain them for a while and then I become overwhelmed and put them down until I become guilty enough to pick them up again. Well, it's not everything in Judaism, right? I mean, text study, which is the core of my Judaism, is like, well, for one, it's my job, so it's very different. And holidays, you know, things that are periodic, I don't really have that issue with. It's more the daily practice stuff. Well, you seem to be pretty good at the text study. Well, that's what I'm saying, is that it's not so easy for me to put it down. Also, it's the most sustainable one for me. It is like the most intuitive form of Judaism for me. In prayer practice, I have to like work really hard to figure out how to make it feel right for me yeah and text study i'm just like hell yeah fuck yeah let's dive in man i'm doing good (laughs) i do less of both of those things than you and i feel the same way about both of them (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure it's guilt all the way up and all the way down i don't know i'm projecting onto you but don't you think that like prayer you have this lingering like praying is corny kind of thing yeah i definitely think that's in there you have to like humble yourself to a certain extent you have to like take off your cynicism which is quite challenging praying is more like doing therapy tech study is more like playing a game yeah it's psychologically easier to do tech study for you yes it's true much to think about and by you i mean me let's do the part of judaism that's easy for me right now in front of our audience of millions of people okay let's do it a quick content warning to our listeners this episode will discuss shlomo karlbach and his history of sexual assault and harassment so just be advised around that okay thank you Listener question, a hard listener question this week. A hard and also an easy listener question in that it was really easy to find a really good source for this. Here's our listener question. My liberal progressive shul just observed the yard site of noted controversial figure Shlomo Karlbach during Shabbat services this week, and the way it was handled brought up a lot of complicated feelings. What does the Talmud say about remembering people who have hurt others really badly? How can we discuss the nuances of their legacy without falling into Lash and Hara? How can we discuss the real or potential complicity in those patterns of harm? I'm thinking here of close friends of Shomal Karabach, like Reb Zalman. First of all, as always, thank you, dear listener, for this wonderful question. It was a pleasure to research. For those of you who don't know, I really don't know the details, but Shlomo Karlbach, for one, he's famous because he created a lot of the melodies that are used in various non-Orthodox synagogue spaces today, and probably even in some Orthodox, I'm sure it's permeated some into their Orthodox world. But Shlomo Karlbach, he created all these melodies that a lot of people use today. And he did some sexual misconduct, the details of which I do not know. But it seems bad. This episode is not about the details of Shlomo Karlbach, bad stuff that he did, but it's some bad stuff. And if you want to learn about it, it will be very easy to find. So here's what the Talmud says about that, I think. All of our texts today are going to be from Sanhedrin 46b and 47a. Sanhedrin, theoretically, about the rabbinical court system, also about five million other things. We start off with, 
Mishum Batsiona Hu O Mishum Kapakahu. So a dilemma was raised before the rabbis. Is burial obligatory for us on account of disgrace, aka so that the dead person will not be disgraced by not having their body buried? Or is burial obligatory on account of atonement, aka so that the dead person will achieve atonement by being returned to the ground from which they were formed? Mm, Okay, interesting. Yes, in case you didn't know, burying people is obligatory. We gotta do it in Judaism. Okay, I can see how if it's about the atonement and we put everyone in the ground, then we're acknowledging that even the people who are the most holy and good still need to be atoned. Wow. Funny you should mention that. Okay. You are uh, clearly a sage because the sages say next, Tashma mid igbur imrat mishum Come and listen to this proof, they say. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all our patriarchs, all of our most holy people were buried. So if you think that burial is on account of people having to atone, do the righteous, the tzaddikim, need atonement? Yes, even the righteous need atonement, as it is written in Ecclesiastes 7.20, for there is no righteous person on the earth who does good and never sins. Whoa. Yeah, you were really, like, you've been Talmud-pilled. You know I'm a crypto-Christian, so, like, this is totally my thing. This is what I'm, I'm all about. I'm canceling you on air. Okay, fine. Cancel me. Cancel me. You're tuning into a live cancellation. I, I love that proof. I love the logic. Yes. So this is sort of part one of our Talmudic structure that we're building today. Sort of our first tenet that we've established is that at least one voice of the Talmud says no one is exempt. No one's memory is completely pure. No one is perfectly good. Even, you know, the most wonderful, righteous people in all the history of Judaism are not exempt from needing atonement posthumously. So that's an important brick we're laying down in our structure we're building. Okay. The journey continues. Another dilemma was raised before the sages. Is the eulogy delivered for the honor of the living, or is it delivered for the honor of the dead? So another thing we do is we do eulogies, and the Talmud wants to know, basically, are funerals for the living or for the dead? Oh, that is what interesting. What is the metaphysical purpose of funerals? Tashima nivze. Ba'ainin namas ze cheskia melech Yehuda shigira raitzmot avin almate shel chavalim wamishum yincha dechayehu maitama. The Talmud says, come here a proof, which is related to this question we're asking. In Psalms, it says, In his eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors them that fears the Lord. This is referring to Hezekiah, the king of Judea, who dragged the bones of his father on a, like a thingy of, it's the word in the translation in Sepharia is a beer, which I feel like is not a very clear term, but like on a little cart made of ropes, and he did not bury his father Ahaz, who was a, quote, wicked king, in a manner befitting a king in order to disgrace him for his sinful conduct. So if the eulogy and the funeral are for the honor of the living, why did he act this way in a manner that brought disgrace upon himself and all the Jewish people? So basically, there's a story. Mm -hmm. Hezekiah, who is like a good, quote, good king in Torah, 
did this thing where he dragged his father's corpse basically all over town on a rope cart, uh, which is incredibly disgraceful in the Torah understanding of the world. Also not neighborly at all. No, just like generally bad practice. So, the Talmud tells us, Hezekiah did this so that his father would achieve atonement for his sins through this disgrace. Oh. Our first possible answer, which is being surfaced here, is that the funeral has to do with the dead, right. achieving either disgrace or honor as is appropriate relative to their lives. Right, right. The Talmud continues, could it be that his father's atonement was more important than the honor of all Israel, which would have been honored by an appropriate eulogy and funeral for a king? Talmud says, it was satisfactory to Israel to forego their own honor for him in order that their former king achieve atonement for his sins. They're saying the funeral is for the dead, and sometimes what the dead need is to be disgraced. Oh. In order to reckon with their legacy of misbehavior. And uh, the whole nation was willing to put up with that disgrace in order that atonement would be achieved. This feels like a time warp paradox to me. If the funeral is for the dead, why would anyone get disgraced by any situation involving the dead? That would imply that the funeral process is actually for the living. I mean, maybe. I think the idea here is like, won't all the other nations see how... Israel treats their kings and make fun of us, basically. Okay, okay. So it's more about, like, wouldn't it be sort of just, like, inappropriate conduct for this to be happening? Doesn't it make us look, like, sort of crazy as a people? Hmm. Okay, okay. And okay. they're like, you know what? If that's what it takes, so be it. So this is, like, truly the most elegant and complete answer to our question, because the Talmud is straight up saying, after a person is dead... Sometimes what has to be done in order to reckon with their life of misbehavior is to air their literal dirty laundry to the world, even if that comes off feeling like a Shonda for the Goyim, a disgrace for the Jews. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. So in the case of Shlomo Korobach, I would say the ruling is, you know, whether it makes the Jews look bad or not, it's important to reckon with the realities of their legacy and the Talmud concurs with that, in my opinion. What do you think the connection to that ruling is, to the first ruling about everyone is buried? Do you think there's something there? Yes. This last piece of Talmud I have is the elegant marriage of these two <laughs> pillars. Tashima, Natan Omer, Siman Yafel met Shenifra imamono lachar mitamet. Shalom is pad wolo nikra o shehaye gorakto o shehayu geshamim mizalafin al matato shehu siman yafe le met. Shema mina ikra de shahvehu shema mina. Come hear this proof. Rabbi Natan said, It's a good sign for the dead when they are punished after their death and don't receive a honorable funeral, because the lack of honor brings atonement for their sins. For instance, if the dead person was not eulogized, or he was not buried, or a wild animal dragged his corpse, or if rain fell on his funeral, this is a good sign for the dead. Learn from this, that the funerals are delivered in honor of the dead, so that when he's deprived of honor, he achieves atonement for his sins. Learn from this. Learn from this. Wow. Wow. Yes. 
So my read of all these points as one cohesive whole is essentially that no one, however lofty their memory, is exempt from needing a little bit of atonement posthumously. And that atonement supersedes any concern for their or our honor as a people, as a community, or them as an individual. In fact, it is a blessing for them. It's a good sign for them to receive that dishonor because it helps bring atonement for their memory. If you believe in a sort of afterlife where dead people have some kind of consciousness, I imagine the dead person is sort of like, oh, now that I'm dead and I have infinite perspective from everything that I've done, I can see that I did some pretty fucked up shit in life. And I'm glad that people are like dealing with my memory because it helps complete my legacy in a certain way. You know? Yeah. From the perspective of the dead person, you can imagine someone who has a dirty secret Mm -hmm. and they slowly drive themselves crazy because they've never unburdened themselves of that secret. That would be the result if the person got away with the things that they did. Mm -hmm. It makes it sound like the worst thing that can happen is that someone does awful and terrible things during their life. They're buried and then Everyone just zips their lips and doesn't talk about it. Right. We pretend they're perfect because we're denying them their posthumous atonement. Yeah. I mean, it's a core principle of my understanding of Judaism and life that the past and memory is a place where we wage our struggle for justice, not merely the present and the future. Mm -hmm. And I think this piece of Talmud is, is strongly advising us, you know, that we are obligated to sort of take how we handle someone's memory seriously. And the way we're advised to take it seriously is by genuinely reckoning with what they did. And that in itself is actually a service to the community and to the person in that it helps begin the healing process of whatever fucked up shit they did in their life. It might also be a service to yourself. I'm curious what you think of this, Hava. Let's say we do what the Talmud says. We approach this person with you know a frankness and a candor that maybe people don't really associate with funerals. Mm -hmm. Do you think that makes us able to appreciate the good things that they did with a little bit less murky confusion? Mm. Like I'm thinking about the listener wrote in with a question about Karl Bach, a composer. Let's say you do this with someone like him. Do you think the process of doing that will actually make singing those songs, engaging with that art in some ways not so murky? Yeah, I mean, I think even more so than bringing appreciation for the positive contributions, something that seems relevant in this case is like, oftentimes, for instance, in the case of Shlomo Karabach, we spend years of our lives partaking of this person's art and legacy without having any idea of the more complicated or fucked up things that they did. And then we are hit with this surprise later on. And it's like we didn't really have a choice about how we wanted to engage with that person's art because we didn't have the whole picture. And if we cultivate a culture in which giving the whole picture, especially the icky parts, has some primacy, then we have greater choice around how we engage with the other parts of that person's legacy. The more complete our picture of a person is, the more complete our choice around how to engage with them is. I'm curious what the rabbis say about the metaphysical connections between who someone is and what they've created. Uh, That's something that there's been in the last decade or so, a lot of tension. There's always, it's always, Mm -hmm. we're always circling back to it and 
having different opinions about separating the art from the artist and where that line is is constantly shifting of how strong that metaphysical connection is mm-hmm. and i'm curious if the talmud ever grappled with those kind of questions yeah i don't i don't have the answer right now that's an episode all unto itself hopefully maybe one day we'll make that episode for now we have a bunch of other listener questions so we're going to keep answering your questions live on the air yeah well thank you listener for writing in yes this was a great question thank you so much listener all of you out there also send us your questions about all kinds of stuff you know whatever just whatever i hope this little talmud adventure was helpful to you listener i hope all of our adventures are helpful to all of you And we will just continue to put them out there. Yeah. So, Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.